You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. John chapter 6, and we're going to read together verse 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray together. Our Father, our trust and our confidence is in you and in your word to reveal to us things which are beyond our ability to understand and fathom. As we read earlier, your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. You are infinitely beyond all that we could ask and imagine or even think or comprehend. You are far above us. Your ways are far above us. And your word is far above us. So we pray that you would give us now insight into your word. Help us to understand what we can of the immense truths that you have laid before us, that we might honor and glorify you and that we might receive truth and yield ourselves to it. O Spirit of God, we pray that you would be our teacher today and that your word would be our soul guide In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are continuing with point number three of a three-part sermon that I started two weeks ago. It would have been about a a two-and-a-quarter-hour sermon, but we decided to break it up into a few different weeks. At least that's the way I like to think of it. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the first magnificent truth of John 6.37, which is that the Father has given to the Son a people. That's revealed in John 6. It's mentioned in John 8. It's expounded upon in John 10. It is prayed about in John 17. And then second, we saw that all of those whom the Father has given to the Son will, with certainty, infallibly, unfailingly, come to the Son for salvation. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Jesus is able to say that with certainty. The third truth now that we look at is that all who come to the Son are received by the Son. So the Father has given people to the Son. The Son will receive all who come to Him because all that the Father has given will come to the Son. So there is no conflict between any of the persons involved in this transaction. There is no contradiction or conflict between the Father who gives the gift and those who come. There's complete harmony between those two parties. The Father gives and all that the Father gives come infallibly to the Son. There is also no conflict between the Father and the Son. The Son does not want or try to receive more than what the Father has given to Him. And the Father does not give to the Son a bunch of people who will not come and who the Son will not receive. The will of the Father in this transaction is identical with the will of the Son in this transaction. So that all that the Father gives will come to the Son, and the Son is completely willing to receive all that the Father has given to him. So the Son and the Father are in complete agreement as to this plan and this transaction. 
Further, there is no conflict between those who want to come and will to come and those whom the Father gives and the Son receives. This is all the same group of people that is described in John 6. There are not a bunch of people who come to the Son and want in, but find that they were not loved by the Father, and find that they were not given by the Father to the Son, and find that the Son doesn't want to receive them. It is only those whom the Father has given to the Son who will come, and it is only those whom the Father has given to the Son that will come to the Son and believe, and it is only those whom the Father has given to the Son that the Son will receive, because the Son receives all that the Father gives to Him, and the Son receives all those who come to Him, willingly, openly, and gladly. That is the role of the Father, and that is the role of the Son. So we have looked at two of these magnificent truths. The Father gave a people to the Son. Second, all whom the Father has given will come to the Son. And now today we turn our attention to the third. All who come are received by the Son. Because the Son loves them, and the Son receives them, because that is the will of the Father, verse 39 and verse 38. So we're looking at chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So this is the third point. All who come to the Son are received by the Son. How many? Just a few? Most? All but one? All but a few? It is all. And remember, there is this group that we are describing, or that we should say Jesus is describing in John 6, this group that is given to the Father, by the Father to the Son in eternity past, and all of them will come. And when all of them come, they will find the Savior ready and willing to receive not just some of them, but all of them, and He receives them gladly. And when He receives them, He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of their Father's hands, and no one will snatch them out of Christ's hands, and no one will be able to take them away from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the, Jesus will give them life, and Jesus will raise them up on the last day. And I want to remind you, four times that phrase, raised up on the last day, occurs, once in verse 30. Uh, seven, sorry, once verse 39, once in verse 40, once in verse 44, and once in verse 54. Jesus is talking about the salvation of those whom the Father has given to him. So let's take a look at that last phrase. All of those who come to me, or the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus is here describing those whom the Father has given to him, not anymore in terms of this large company of people, as the group, as he did at the beginning, all that the Father gives me, that was nobody in particular. Jesus referring at the beginning of verse 37 to this group of God's given, this group of God's elect, those whom the Father chose and gave to the Son as a group or a whole. But now it becomes far more specific. The one, the individual who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. And this may seem like overstating the obvious, but since we are talking about the subject of God's divine election and His eternal decrees from eternity past, we should not miss the fact that those who are given by the Father to the Son in order to gain eternal life or to receive eternal life must come to the Son. In other words, none of the elect will be saved apart from coming to the Son. Do you catch that? Just because God has decreed or predestined the salvation of a company of people, a group of people known as the elect, does not mean that God negates the means to that end. So that if I'm elect, I don't have to come to the Son because I'm going to be saved anyway. 
Now, none of the elects, none of this company of people given by the Father to the Son will be saved or can be saved apart from coming to the Son, beholding the Son, believing upon the Son, receiving and trusting the Son, and casting all of their hope of righteousness on Him, and being born again. Without repentance and without faith, none of the elect can be saved. Do you get that? All of God's elect must come to His Son. Here's the good news. All of God's elect will come to His Son. That's Jesus' promise. All that the Father gives me will come to me, but none can be saved apart from coming to the Son. So just because God has predetermined an end, predestined a people, does not mean that those people are saved in any other way apart from coming to the Son. Everybody who has ever been saved since the day of Pentecost and every New Testament saint in heaven will have come personally and individually to a point of turning from their sin and believing upon the Savior and receiving eternal life and understanding that Jesus is God, that He came from heaven and He came to die on a cross to pay the price for the sin debt of all who will believe upon Him. They must understand that and believe that in order to be saved. And all of the elect will. And none of the elect won't. Does that make sense? None of the elect won't. All of the elect will. And nobody who is elect will be saved apart from that understanding and that knowledge and receiving Christ in that way. Okay? All that the Father gives me and will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. What does it mean to come to Christ? What does it mean to come to Christ? It's not coming to an organization. It's not coming to a set of beliefs about Christ. This is actually coming to a person. Remember, this is different than the crowd. I pointed this out last week. This is different than the crowd. The crowd didn't come to Jesus, did they? What did they come to? They came to the signs. They came to the free food. They came to the miracles. They came to have their wants and their desires satisfied. But did they want Jesus? They didn't want Him. They wanted everything He could offer them. They wanted all the benefits, all the messianic accoutrements that would accompany Him being King. What they wanted was His power and His signs, but not Him. And throughout the passage, He's been offering Himself to them. You must come to Me. I am the living bread. You must come to Me and believe upon Me and you will have eternal life. But the crowd didn't want that. And so now Jesus is saying, the one who comes to Me, not to a new moral understanding, not to a set of principles that you then implement, not to a moralistic understanding of life, It's not coming to an organization or a business group of professional Christians. It's not coming to a church. It's not coming to a sacrament. It's not coming to baptism. It's not coming to communion. It's not coming to a pope or to a priest or to an organization on earth. It's not coming to anything, any of those things. It is coming to Christ and to Christ alone. If you go to any of those other things as a surrogate God, as the expression of the idol of your heart, you will find that Christ will cast you off because you have not come to Him. You must come to Him. And that means that you turn in repentance and you turn in faith and you abandon all of your attempts at self-righteousness, at saving yourself, at being a better person or to acquire or earn God's righteousness or His favor. And you trust only and solely in Jesus Christ. This promise in verse 37 is to those who have come to Jesus Christ as the God of all creation, incarnated in the flesh, dying on a cross, rising again, and offering salvation to His people. And if you will not come to that Jesus, you will be cast off into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you will be cast off because that is the just penalty and the just punishment for your sin. You have to come to Jesus, to a person. He who comes to me, Jesus says, I will in no way or in no wise, by no means, certainly not cast out. The one who comes to him, he will not refuse them, but he will receive them. 
That is to say that all of God's elect, all of God's people, those given by the Father to the Son in eternity past, foreloved by the Father, will come to the Son. And when they come to the Son, they will find the Son willing and ready to receive them. And not most of them, not some of them, but all of them. There is no possibility that one given by the Father to the Son would fail to come to the Son. And there is no possibility that having come to the Son, that they would fail to be saved. Or that they would come to the Son and fail to believe. Or find the Son saying, No, I loved all the rest of them, but not you. And do you notice how broad the language is? It's just the one who comes. There's no qualification there. Do you notice that? It's not to the rich one who comes, or the poor one who comes, or the educated one who comes, or the ignorant one who comes, or the one who comes from a Christian background, or the one who's been baptized and comes, or the one who takes up communion and comes, or the one who comes early in life, or late in life. It's, it's broad and open. There's not one single qualifying statement in that verse. It is open to any and to all who will come. Like we read in Isaiah 53. Come, you without money. Buy, receive, eat, drink. Come, God will abundantly pardon. Just come. And the offer of the Gospel goes out to all. To whom do we preach? Just to the elect or to all people? To all people. Do you know who the elect are? You don't know that. You can't know that. Someone once criticized Spurgeon for preaching to the non-elect, to preaching to crowds where he didn't know who the elect were and who the non-elect were, and Spurgeon said, I I have no other option if you could pull up their shirt tail and see an E stamped on their back so that I could know who's elect and who's not elect, then I could just preach to the elect. But there's no way for us to know who the elect are and the non-elect are. And so the proclamation of the gospel goes out free and open and broad to all. And history has shown that this group of people given by the Father to the Son is quite a diverse group of people, isn't it? It's people from every tribe and every kindred and every tongue on the face of the planet. It is people who are noble and people who are ignoble. It's notable people and nothing people. It's paupers and princes and kings and presidents and people in authority. It's the the rich and the powerful. It's the weak and the poor. It's people who are saved early in life and people who are saved later in life. People who who got saved before they had a chance to traffic in sin and taste its bitter fruit. And there are people who were saved on the last hours on their deathbed hours before they died, who will also be in that kingdom, who never had an opportunity to live a righteous life. People saved and entering heaven, as it were, by the skin of their teeth, barely in the nick of time, who trafficked their whole life in sin and never had a chance to do one good deed to commend them to God. That's the company of the elect. And you're going to be hobnobbing in glory with all of those people. Quite a diverse group. Why? Because it's to any who will come. And the offer goes out indiscriminately. Any who want to come can come. And all who come will find that the Savior will willingly and gladly receive them into His fold, into His kingdom. They can come. It's an open gospel. It's a broad gospel. And they can come in repentance and faith just like anybody else. And they will find that they will never be cast off. Cast off. That that phrasing, by the way, is something a Jew would understand. A Jew knew what it meant to be cut off, to be cast out. In Jesus' day, a Jew could be cast out of the synagogue. If you, if you didn't belong to Abraham's descendants, if you weren't part of the covenant people of God, you'd be kicked out of the synagogue. If you were ceremonially unclean, you would be shut off. You know what they did to the lepers? They put them outside the camp. To be cut off to a Jew because they were unclean or because they were not among God's people was to be removed from the sphere of blessing. It was to be put outside, outside the camp, away from the blessing of God's people. So what Jesus is saying is the one who comes to me will never ever be placed outside of the blessing of God's people. They will never be put out. They'll never be shut out. They'll never be cut off away from me or my blessing. That's His promise. 
You say, was it possible for me to be cut off or, or cast out because I am unclean? How can somebody who has been washed by the blood of the eternal covenant be unclean? It's impossible. Or because I'm not among God's people? How is it possible for you to not be among God's people if you're foreloved before the foundation of the world and chosen in Christ and given by the Father to the Son as a love gift? How can you possibly be cast off? You can't be cast off for being unclean because you're not. You're forever righteous in the sight of God because of the Gospel and by virtue of your faith. You have His righteousness. You can never be unclean. Not only can you never be unclean, you can never be cut off because you're not among God's people. You are. You are His sheep. And His promise is He will gather in all of His sheep and He will not lose any of them. And if you are among His people, you belong to Him and you can never be cast off. The King James says, I will in no wise cast out. I don't know what a wise is. I thought it referred to the three wise men. I will in no wise cast out. That's old English, I think, for I will by no means or in no way, under no circumstances, not by any means or way, will that person be cast off. The NASB says, I will certainly not cast him out. It's actually a double negative in the Greek. It's the strongest possible way of denying something. To use a double negative with that tense in the Greek, I will not never cast them out. Now, in English, when we use a double negative, what does it do? Make something a positive, right? If I say to you, you will not not be cast out. What does that mean? I'm going to be cast out. Because when you double negative something, one negative negates the other negative and makes it a positive. But not in Greek. And so the, all the efforts to translate that, I will certainly not cast them out. I will in no wise cast them out. I will by no means cast them out. I will not, never, never cast them out. We sing that hymn, the, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent word. I think it's the last verse of that hymn that says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That's the promise. That's the hymn writer's attempt to translate and, get, and give that same idea of a double negative. The last half of that phrase says, the soul, That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I never, no, never, no, never forsake. Isn't that beautiful? That's the idea. You cannot. It's absolutely impossible. That means that it is impossible for me to be excluded, and it is guaranteed that I will be included. For it to be impossible for me to be excluded from His people or to be cast out is to guarantee my inclusion into the fold of God. Since my exclusion is impossible, my inclusion is guaranteed. That means that I can never, never not be His person not be his child, not be his sheep. I can never go from being a sheep to being a goat. That's an impossibility. Now when you read verse chapter 6, verse 37, where Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Can you read those words and then walk away thinking to yourself, you know, I think it's possible to lose your salvation. You get that impression? Not if you're reading the text straight with a clear head, you're not. You can't lose your salvation. You say, but Jim, maybe it's possible or impossible for Jesus to cast me out. But what if I choose to cast me out? Maybe He'll never do it, but what if I can do it? What if I can cast myself out, as it were, to decide not to be His sheep or to decide not to stay in the fold? What if it's a decision or an act of my own will where I choose that path, even though Jesus promises that He'll never be the one to do it, If I choose to do it, he'll let me. What about that? Well, I suppose if you imagine that you are the one who brought you to the Son, and you are the one who made you his sheep before the foundation of the world, 
And you were the one that by an act of your will included you in the fold, and you, by an act of your own effort, keep yourself in His grace. And if you can imagine that you, by your own choice, made you His sheep, then I guess you can imagine that you, by your own choice, could cast yourself out. But then again, we're just imagining, aren't we? And that's all that is, is imagination. It is impossible. He will not cast you out because Jesus Christ has based His own honor and glory upon fulfilling this promise. I will lose none. Verse 39. I will lose none. Do you think it's possible for the Son to stand in the presence of the Father and say to the Father, You have given me a great company, and I've lost most of them. But I'm I'm here to show that I was able, because they allowed me to, to keep a few of them. And most of those, Father, whom you have given to me have perished. Most of those whom you have given to me are burning in eternal hell, suffering the wrath of of torment for their sin. But I'm able to at least present a few of you to them, a few of them to you, because they allowed me to do this. Can you imagine such a scenario? I certainly cannot. I believe that the belief that one can lose their salvation is a blight and a blasphemy against the word and the honor of Jesus Christ because He has vowed to keep all who are His. And you say, what if I choose to leave? You won't choose to leave, and if you leave, you only demonstrate you were not His to begin with because He will keep all who are His. And if you leave Him, you will show that your faith is nothing more than the faith of the crowd in John chapter 6 who came to Him for the wrong reasons, with the wrong expectations, anticipating the wrong thing, and you didn't actually come to Him. And you have never actually been saved. And you will go out from us and prove that you will never among us to begin with. For if you had been of us, you would remain with us all the way to the end. And this is the final mark of God's elect. They will persevere all the way to the end, not because of their own power and not because of their own strength, but because they are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That's First Peter chapter 1. He keeps those who are His. His honor rests upon it. Can you imagine the glee and the glory in hell that the demons would experience if they knew that one who came to Christ could be turned away or could ultimately be lost? The demons would rejoice. They would say, we knew that He was unable to save to the uttermost all those who come to Him by faith. We knew He is unable to keep those whom the Father has given to Him. We knew that He is unable and unwilling to receive all of them. But he, His power and His might and His majesty have been overturned by that omnipotent will of man who decides that He doesn't want it anymore. That is a horrific idea and a horrific doctrine. But we'll return to it later because John does and Jesus does through the rest of John chapter 6. There's more to be said. This issue of eternal security and the security of the believer Jesus addresses this from almost every conceivable angle through the rest of John chapter 6. As he teaches that there is no way that those who are his could ever finally and fully be lost. And so now I ask you a question, having looked at John 6 verse 37. Is it possible, let me phrase it this way. What if one of those not given by the Father to the Son were to come to the Son? Would the Son receive him? What if one of those who is of the world, not of his sheep, not elect as it were, not given by the Father to the Son, what if somebody from that company were to turn from their sin and come to Jesus and say, I want into heaven, I want salvation. Would the Son cast them out? 
Because this promise is only for those whom the Father has given to the Son, right? So what if somebody who's not given by the Father to the Son comes to the Son? Will the Son refuse them? Nobody wants to venture a guess. Maybe a good thing. I will tell you this, if you can imagine such a scenario, you're imagining an impossibility. There should be some point when I was describing that whole scenario where your brain just said, you know, that does not compute for some reason. And that's absolutely right. It should not compute. It would be like me saying, what if we were to discover a square circle or a three-dimensional cube that only had three sides? You would say, Jim, I always thought you were an idiot. Now you just proved it. You're absolutely right. Such a thing does not exist. It cannot exist. It is not possible. Why? Because those who are not given by the Father to the Son will not ever come to the Son. And not because they are kept out of it, because they don't want it. They don't desire it. They hate the sun. They love darkness rather than light. And so they won't come to the sun. So what does the Father guarantee or secure in giving us to His Son? He secures the fact, guarantees the fact that we will come, and that coming we will behold, and that beholding we will believe, and that believing we receive eternal life, and that receiving eternal life, Jesus keeps us and secures us And having accomplished that, he will raise us all up on the last day, having lost none of them, so that he can present to the Father perfect bride, fully redeemed, with not one lost elect among them. There will be no empty mansions in heaven, mansions for whom, uh, mansions for which Jesus prepared for people who didn't ultimately make it. And now they sit vacant for all of eternity. There will be no such thing. The full company of all of God's people will be gathered in at the end of time, and not one blood-bought, not one blood-washed saint will be absent from the number of God's elect. An impossibility. We cannot leave because He will keep us. The non-elect will not come. And you will notice that the language of John 6 is inclusive language, not exclusive language, because the doctrine of election is not an exclusive doctrine. It is inclusive some people imagine that humanity is filled with these people who are all like Horshack saying, ooh, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. And they all want in. And everybody desires to be into heaven. The vast majority of people want to get into heaven. But God instead looks out over humanity and says, no, 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 even though you really want in, I'm not going to pick you. I'm going to pick the guy next to you who doesn't want in, and then I'm going to make him come in. Drag him in, kicking and screaming. Make him my child against his will. That's not election. How many of us would come if God had done nothing? If God had simply left the fallen race of Adam where it was, and had God chosen none, had God given none to His Son, how many of us would have come? The answer? None of us. Not a single one of us. Because we all love darkness. There's nothing in us that makes us more spiritually inclined than our lost neighbor or Pharaoh in Egypt. There's nothing in me that's better than Pharaoh. God raised Pharaoh up and God judged Pharaoh. I deserve what Pharaoh got. There's nothing in me that makes me separate from Pharaoh. It's solely the grace of a loving God who did that. Doctrine is not, uh, election is not the means by which God overlooks a mass of willing humanity and lets them all perish even though they want to go to heaven. Election is the act of God whereby He secures the salvation of people who were once his enemies, hostile to the light, who hated him, and whom he now graciously by love draws and redeems and secures their salvation and includes them in the company of the redeemed. And had God done nothing, nobody would have been saved. Nobody. The way the gospel is presented today, friends, it's more like this. People think that, God, that, that humanity, most of them wanted to get into heaven, 
And God had to find a way to make that possible. So he had the son die on a cross in order to store up a bunch of righteousness and forgiveness. A bunch of righteousness and forgiveness that we could tap into by an act of our own decision. And so all of humanity wants in. And God wants to get as many of us in as possible. So he provides a bridge. And then God says, now it is all entirely up to the sinner to do what the sinner needs to do in order to actuate the redemption that I have made possible. So the view of redemption is not that it is an actual payment or an actual salvation that actually has the power to save. Instead, salvation is pictured as something potential, as it were, and and you and I can walk up to it like an ATM with our little ATM card called free will, and we can put it in and draw out however much forgiveness or grace we want or however much righteousness we need to get us into the gates, and at any time we can stop drawing out His righteousness or His forgiveness. I want you to compare that way of thinking that all of salvation hinges upon the willingness and the activity of the sinner to actuate what God has only made potential. I want you to contrast that with the theology of John chapter 6, that before the foundation of the world, the Father loved a people. And the Father loved the Son, the second member of the Trinity. And the Father, by an act of grace, determined that the most loving thing He could do for that people and for His Son was to give that people to His Son as a bride. And the Son, as a reciprocal act of love, said to the Father, because I love you, I will go down to earth. I will take upon myself human flesh. I will come in the likeness of sinful flesh. I will live an entirely obedient and righteous life in order that I may die on a cross and pay the penalty of the sin that those people have incurred. And by my act of obedience, both passive and active, I will secure the salvation of all of those people whom you have given to me. All of them, Father. And the Son willed to do this in love for the Father, and the Spirit determined that He would regenerate, and He would quicken, and He would draw those people to the Son so that they might partake of the obedience and righteousness of the Son. And then at the end of time, the Son would present those people whom He has redeemed to His Father as a love gift back to the Father. And it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. And you and I will come and we will partake of that, not because we are better than somebody else, but because God in His mercy gave us to His Son. And because we were given to His Son, we will come. And when we come, we will find Him willing to receive us. And He receives us and He gives us eternal life, and He has promised to the Father, Father, I will lose none that you have given to me. I will raise them all up, a glorious bride, on the last day. That is the glorious gospel of John 6. That is the eternal decree of God. That is the gospel message. And you can partake of that glorious salvation in no other way than repenting of your sins and trusting in the Savior who promises to forgive you if you will believe upon Him. And if you will not, you will be punished not because you are not elect. You will be punished because you will not believe. Now if all of this causes you difficulty in harmonizing it, good. Get used to it. It should. 
If at any point in your thinking you, you say to yourself, you know what, I, I think I figured it all out, I have come up with a way that this doesn't cause me any problems. I've come up with a way of harmonizing the sovereignty of God and his gift of a people and man's responsibility and need to believe, and, and it doesn't cause me any problems. If you ever get to that point, you have fallen off the wagon at some point in your theology. You've fallen off the wagon at some point. It ought to cause you great distress. It ought to cause you some consternation. It ought to make your brain kind of say, wow, these things are too great for me. Truly, I can say with Isaiah, the ways of the Lord are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I can't comprehend these things. But I can live with the truth of what is revealed and what is revealed. The Father gave the people to the Son. All that the Father gave to the Son will come to the Son. And all who come to the Son will find that the Son is willing to receive them. That's the glorious gospel message. Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, wrote a poem called Saints in the Hands of Christ. And with this I close. Firm as the earth thy gospel stands, my Lord, my hope, my trust. If I am found in Jesus' hands, my soul can never be lost. His honor is engaged to save the meanest of his sheep. All that his heavenly Father gave, his hands securely keep. Nor death nor hell shall ever remove his favorites from his breast. In the dear bosom of his love they must forever rest. Child of God, get your head into this doctrine. Bask in this doctrine. Rejoice in this doctrine. Rest in His glorious grace. Your salvation is His gift to you from first to last. You can rest in it. You are secure in it because He has pledged by His honor to keep you until the very end and to receive you when you come to Him. Let's pray. Father, what a gracious thing You have done in sending Your Son to redeem us. We thank you, O Father, that you have loved us before the foundation of the world, that you gave us to your Son, and we thank you that your Son came to die for us and to redeem us, and he now keeps us. And we thank you, O Spirit of God, for drawing us to your Son and quickening our hearts, forgiving us faith, granting us repentance, and making and opening our eyes that we might see and behold the glorious Son and be drawn to him. Thank you for such a wonderful salvation. If left to ourselves, we... We would have nothing, and we are nothing, and so consequently we have nothing of which to boast. But we rejoice in your goodness to us, and we praise you, O triune God, for your glorious salvation. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.